0: Welcome to The Property Planet, a podcast with Simon Howley and Amanda Perotten of Bell Howley Perotten, the show all about the tax and legal issues surrounding property ownership, where we discuss everything that affects property investors and developers, and go deep into the details to unravel the advice, highlight the traps you can fall into, and dispel the myths surrounding property ownership in the UK. Morning Amanda! Good morning, Simon. How are you?
1: I'm very well indeed. Having a very good week, very productive this week. What about yourself?
0: That's good to hear. Um, I have celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary this week, which is um, quite a significant milestone for all sorts of reasons.
1: It's like your like <laughs> silver Jubilee, is it? A jubilee? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, silver, exactly right. And I uh, completed my first, and I have to say only, half marathon uh, this week. So um, I shan't be repeating, obviously, either of those.
1: Yeah, I've done 28 years, but over three wives, so it's not the same, <laughs> is it? <laughs> anyway, who, who is our guest on uh, 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 this podcast?
0: This morning we're welcoming back Catherine, um, uh, who has um, obviously a wealth of experience, but in particular um, is going to chat to us this morning uh, about... Private residence relief, uh, capital gains tax on your primary dwelling, I believe. Catherine, good morning. Morning, good morning Amanda. Morning, Simon. Congratulations, Amanda, on Thank both achievements. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, the half marathon was, um, was something else, but uh, it was for charity, so That's it's good. got to be good. Thanks <laughs> thing. A good effort.
1: Okay, Catherine, so uh, over to you.
0: I, I just
2: thought it would be interesting to sort of have a chat about principal residence relief, Um, because I think over the last year, there have been quite a lot of um, interesting cases around around this particular relief. Um, And I think it's something that people assume that they're going to qualify for and think that it's relatively straightforward, when in actual fact, it's got quite a few sort of tricks and traps in there for the unwary. Um, So essentially, we're talking about the relief that you get from capital gains tax when you sell your main residents and the law hasn't really changed on this a lot but we have a lot of um, decisions from the first tier tribunal which of course isn't a isn't a binding court so those decisions are good for guidance but they don't necessarily restrict what the inland revenue can do in your particular case Mm -hmm. Um, and i think there are two groups of people who who seem to me likely to be challenged in this space Um, where, where you have individuals involved in sort of a property business. The first one, I think, um, is where you have a developer who is perhaps seeking to use this capital gains tax relief in order to avoid having to pay um, tax on, say, an unoccupied investment property. So your sort of typical scenario, I've got an unoccupied investment property, I'll be fine if I just stick a bed in there and some chairs and spend
0: a few nights and... You know,
3: that
0: that sort of... Yeah. I don't know if you've sort of come across that one. Part. of the very clients, I was going to say, one of the very clients I was chatting to yesterday, actually. He, he sort of, as we were chatting, he said, well, I've been living in, uh, you know, here somewhere with his girlfriend. And I said, well, what about the flat in Muswell Hill? He said, oh, well, I've been renting that out. Oh, but that is obviously my primary residence. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think people just sort of assume that that will be fine and then nobody
2: will pick it up. Yeah. And I think the the and and of course the revenue now are much sharper on that. I mean the leakage from I mean the amount it costs to provide this relief. You know, twenty seven billion. Yeah. It's it's bound to be something that the revenue are, are keeping an eye on. Um, and I think the second area where I come across it is is what I sort of think of as a casual developer. So someone with a big house um, and a big garden, and then they decide that they can sell off part of that garden or build a house, move into it, and and sell off the, the old, so it's sort of a grand design type project. Yep. Um and there was an interesting case um, in July, uh, the case of Mrs. White, where essentially she bought a big hall in the country, wanted to renovate it. The costs of renovation are massive, and so she had special permission to sell off six or seven building blocks. Um, and there she was actually held to be a developer.
3: Yeah,
2: and, and the things I'm coming across are sort of telltale signs at the moment... Are things where you've got a rapid succession of properties. So, um, you know, you've you're selling five properties in three years, one after the other, with, yep. you, you know, you buy it, you do it up, you sell it. I think that's a telltale sign. Mm-hmm.
3: Um
2: I, I think the the other is the degree of work that somebody is doing, perhaps before they they sell it on. So that seems to be sort of triggering the inland revenue as well at the moment. Um, so, uh, and I'm thinking particularly here of your cases where somebody's building in the grounds of their house. You know, how much can you actually do there? Because before... that was quite tricky,
1: isn't it? Because I think there's, it's normal for people to, anywhere to buy a house that may need renovation. So, I mean, at, at, at what point do you say it's, it's more than just a refurbishment or? putting up a servitory or a kitchen, that, that to me is, is box standard. But I suppose if you go beyond that,
2: maybe. I, I, th- I think that's right. You know, it seems like you get planning permission for another building. That's kind of okay. But when you go beyond that, when you start putting in groundworks or utilities or separate access, yeah.
3: yeah. and I
2: think definitely when you're down to your sort of separate building with a concrete slab and some brickwork, yeah, you've stepped over that line into developing, and then and then we're not even talking about capital gains tax at all, are we? We're talking about um,
3: trading, isn't it? Yes.
2: Trading, which I think we've we've spoken about on the podcast before quite often, the difference yeah. between trading and investing.
1: we had a client, I think, who who got caught by that because he was buying uh, a property, say, start of the year, he'd renovate it to a certain degree, not spend too much money, then he'd sell it. And then he'd fire somewhere else. And obviously, he has this systematic, he uh, was probably buying and selling two every couple of years. So there's a pattern there. And he was caught out mm-hmm. by the, the checking the uh, land registry. Was yes. money, and therefore, he was, he was pulled up by that. And he couldn't really argue that he wasn't doing that because it, it, it's been habitual over the past five years.
2: And I think what, they're, what what you really need there is to be able to prove the reasons why you moved each time, don't you? And, and, and actually producing that solid evidence, you know, for a reason other than yeah, um, I, mean, he, I was he, making a turn each time.
1: He did live there with his family in each house. But I think the thing that really scuppered him was that the fact that if you look over the previous five years, there's a pattern. Yes
2: emerging there. That's not
1: what you do as a family normally. You buy somewhere, live for a number of years or 10, 20 years, and then move on.
2: And and I think that there are exceptions, aren't there? You know, someone gets into tremendous financial difficulties or there is a relationship breakdown, um, those kind of situations. But you really need to be able to prove that that is the case. Yeah. Um, And it can be very difficult to do that.
1: Or maybe maybe fake a falling out with your partner, maybe, just to... to
2: (laughs) I think people have tried that before, Simon. That yes. doesn't seem yeah. to work so well. Yeah.
3: yeah anyway.
2: um, <laughs> like I, th- I think the other thing people sometimes overlook is that actually within the rules that for the principal private residence relief, it says that you don't get that relief if you acquire your property intending mm-hmm. to make a gain or if you form that intention during your ownership of the property. So so some of the things people might need to sort of watch out for are things like, um when you remove restrictive covenants or you get tenants out of a property so that you'll be able to sell it or you acquire, say, the freehold interest when you've got the leasehold interest. So there's little things that might just indicate that there's been that change of intention. So as far
0: as the rules are concerned, is that, obviously, for in terms of people listening to this, so um, what... So in terms of uh, actually developing sites in the future, if they are seeking to sell their existing property, move into another property that they then seek to develop, what the revenue are now checking back on and is now saying is that, no, you can't claim. So when you sell that second property that you've bought, that's when you'll lose effectively your relief.
2: Um that's right, because if you can't show that that property, firstly, that, that you weren't actually intending to develop it for profit, so first of all, that you fall within the capital gains tax regime, and then you've got to show that the second property is actually your residence. Yes. So it is a home that you are occupying and that it is your main residence, so you're occupying it with the intention that it's going to be a permanent home and there's there's sufficient evidence of that expectation and certainty that it's going to be your permanent home.
0: Do they define permanent? So your per- it could be your permanent home for nine months? No,
2: no I think that's one of the difficulties with, with the legislation and one of the big debates I think at the moment is around should there be more of a definition there? Right. You know, in it, we don't have a definition definition of these terms of residence or main residence. And, and that creates uncertainty. I guess it also creates flexibility. So you can accommodate lots of different circumstances. Yeah. Um, and there's an argument that um, you know, if you had certainty, it would encourage people perhaps to stretch the rules because they'd know exactly where the lines are.
1: Do. Mm. I, think, I think it's quite because that failed because in effect there's been very little use of gas or, or uh, power usage therefore you, you can't say you were living there um, because they, they check these things but there, there is also obviously been a case uh, a new client who's either leave his current house or' going to lock it down to develop it but he's going to buy another new house which you're going well, you're not move in immediately it'll maybe take you maybe nine to, to 12 months to refurbish it but there is a concession now well, well it was a concession but now it's in law where they do give you um, is it is it 24 months? Yes, it that's
2: right. You have two years, don't you? From either you can't move in because you're trying to sell your old house, yeah. or you're doing up or building your new house.
1: Yes. Yeah, so it's so long as it is going to be your main residence when you finish your refurbishments. That's a key thing.
2: That that's right. And it's also a cliff edge test, isn't it? So that two years and one day, yeah. you don't qualify, two years, you're yeah. okay. So um, but you're right. I think in your client's case he's got, if he's got a 12 month period when he needs to kind of do up his property, then, you know, there is that that period of time when it will qualify as his I mandate. have a
1: feeling though that I think he's trying to bend the rules, even though, <laughs> even though that's what I advised him on uh, based on what the facts of the conversation. But my gut feeling is, he's going to try and flip it before um, yeah. trading, but uh, who knows?
0: So, well, so in, Interestingly, sorry, Catherine, interestingly as well. So it, Um, let's make that a bit more simple you're going to buy a house you're going to sell your current property and you're going to convert that house into let's say two flats and you're going to occupy the ground floor as your principal private dwelling and then upstairs you're going to either sell or maybe you're going to create a lease split the title create a lease and you're going to sell upstairs so you are actually buying this house to use as your primary residence but you're also buying it to make a profit how would they review how would they view that it's interesting
2: isn't it, to remember <laughs> a tricky one i mean just off the top of my head i would have thought that because you are buying it effectively to split yep. you know one part to occupy and one part to let yeah my 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 instinct is that you would effectively have almost two assets there Mm-hmm. And you'd be a quite, you know. So it it feels to me like the flat you're going to occupy should qualify. But I'd be concerned that the flat that you were that you, know, you never occupied, yeah, might you know wouldn't qualify for that relief. Yeah. I guess it might depend on exactly how that intention formed, how you made the changes, and yeah, where you you know where you occupied. So you might get part of it. And how do you
3: demonstrate
1: the intention in the first place? I suppose it it's going to be when they she yeah. sells it at some point or he or she sells it at some point, then they'll look back on the history. If it's six months after the fact, then they're going to say, oh, I think, no, it's obviously okay. it's a trade.
2: One of the questions I sort of come across quite often is, is people tend to say, well, how long do I have to live in it for it to become my main residence? I don't know if you, yeah. you get that question as well.
1: Because no set time, is it? Really? It could, in, in in theory, be a week.
2: I, th- I think that's right because it's really about the quality of your occupation, isn't it, rather than the quantity, as it were, um, and and how the facts support the position. And um, we had the Stephen core case recently. I, mean, I think it was eight weeks. Yeah.
3: Um, It'd be a good argument,
1: I suppose, for a week if you could if you could win that case in front of the of the tribunal.
2: <laughs> um, You'd be famous.
3: Yeah, you would be. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I, th- I think some, some of the telltale signs, though, are, are you know, that seem to to look out for are things like, you know, putting the house on the market almost as soon as you buy it. It yeah. um, seems, seems to be a classic, um, not having any furniture there or minimal furniture we've, we've talked about. A, a tricky one, I, I think, uh, that a recent case brought up was around, um, you know, how much you're using it. And it used to be that, you know, you'd say, well, you need to sleep there. But, yeah. but but now it seems to be, you know, there needs to be more than that, than just sleeping there. So um, there was a case of somebody who essentially uh, did, never ate in his house, um, took his washing home at the weekends, yeah. um, but slept there every night. Yeah. And the first year tribunal deciding, well, no, that, you know, that didn't qualify as his main residence, which, which is pretty tough on, you know, most urban professionals, if you think about it. Yeah. You know, you might be at the office all the time, grab tea on your way home. Sleep, get up, go to work, wash, you know, rinse and
0: repeat.
3: Yeah.
0: Especially the washing element.
2: (laughs) Well, given that my sons who've been gone from home for a long time still seem to bring their washing home, (laughs) I think that's a a (laughs) tough task. I guess the the other thing uh, that's quite interesting is this question about, you know, the size of your garden. um, Because you're allowed the relief on your house. Um, plus its garden, yeah. and then your garden can be – the revenue can't challenge you if it's up to half a hectare, but any bigger than that, it needs to be necessary for the reasonable enjoyment of the property. Um, so we see sort of a, a lot of arguments around, you know, my house has a very large garden. Is that necessary for my my property or not?
1: Yeah. It's strange because the, the, the definition of it conflicts with, with the, the uh, SDLT, because SDLT at the moment, to, to define whether it's it's a commercial premises or they're saying now that no matter how big your garden is, it's residential. And it, could, yes. it could be 20 acres with, with uh, farming land, but they're saying now the definition, it conflicts with the public gains tax uh, legislation.
2: It's, it's really difficult, that, isn't it? I think that's a really good point, Simon, because... We've got these two competing taxes, haven't we? We've got capital gains tax and we've got SDLT to worry about. Yeah, And they've got different definitions. You know, What is a residence for CGT can be different to what is a residence for SDLT and um, what is a garden can
1: be I different. I think about two acres of garden, but the, the main bits looking from, from you know, a, a, zone, a, a drone photo, the main bit was obviously very well mowed and stuff, and then behind that... There was just like a later fallow, so in the end, he built a pond in there and trees and stuff. So, in effect, you could argue that it was part of the garden.
0: I suppose as well from a from a um, sort of property like the 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 land point of view, you know, often you'll come across where clients or may have been annexed or purchased additional pieces of land to increase the size of their garden, Um, but the covenants on that title will mean that you can only use that land for certain elements so um client uh, that i acted for well, recently they'd, they'd had uh, you know the developer had built the garden built, built the house had the garden and then back onto um, local farmers lands and several of the properties had bought additional sections of land that were then sort of effectively tacked onto the back of their gardens and specifically in those uh, conveyances um a you know that the covenant said that you could only use this land for certain certain reasons and you couldn't fence put fences in certain places you know they even restricted the amount of like play equipment and things like that that you could were permitted to be used on that land so you know from that point of view it was almost pretty much left to fallow <laughs> really mm. um and almost like an you know, like you could keep a goat on it or something. So it was almost and in some respects it was almost commercial, I suppose, from that point of view. But it's it's interesting as well how that would combine with what you can and can't do with it, as far as the legal title would also say.
2: Yes, I think that's right. And you see it also with communal gardens, don't you, where lots of different occupiers can use the same space and how yeah. do you show that it's the garden that belongs to their particular property. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny this word enjoyment as well, isn't it? Because um, I think I think we're really talking about enjoyment in the legal sense of it. You know, I have the right to occupy it with my property. Yeah. As opposed to maybe enjoyment in the in the sense that you might think I get to sit out there and look at my flowers and yeah. mm. you know, so it's so it, I, I think in those situations where you do have shared land and and like you say, where you've added extra land on. Mm there are particular complexities, not just around your intention when you did it, but how and when it does become past yeah. the garden. Yeah. Um, it was a useful uh, decision recently um, in, in Philip's uh, case, which was uh, concerned a house up near Solihull, where um, they, they were basically saying that it's an objective test. So it's not whether you subjectively feel that you're, you need a bigger garden, because of things you particularly do but whether given the size of your house the ratio of your house to its garden and also the sizes of comparable gardens in the area so if your house is in an area where people traditionally have very large gardens you've got more of a chance than if you're in a case where you have very small gardens Um, but i think what's interesting is the revenue can't argue that your garden that your garden should be smaller you know you shouldn't need uh, sorry if it's once you, if it's under the half hectares, you know, half a hectare you're allowed, whether that is massive for your house or not. Um, and, and similarly, um, they haven't had much success with sizes of houses. So if you have a very large house and there's only you and you end up living in a wing of it, yeah, you know, the revenue haven't had much success in arguing that, you know, well, you only need so many square foot for one person to live in. Yeah. And the courts had to say, well, you know, they're stretching their interference in your life a bit too far there.
1: I had a, I, I, I had a client in St. John's Wood and he had a, a, a large house up there, but he had one, one particular wing or section was for his antiques business and therefore we agreed a, a, an apportionment. So this bit was yeah. not under the um, the, the, the exemption uh, and the rest of it was. But that was quite that, – that, but it was set – it was very much a separate entrance and everything, so it was for his business.
3: So
2: Yeah, I think that's going to be quite an issue going forward, don't you think, with more and more people working from home now and having a set, you know, having created a set space yeah. in their garden to work in or.
1: Well, technically, if, if, if a room's set aside purely for your business, it shouldn't be given the same treatment. But then again, I suppose most people will have a home office, well, like Amanda's sat in her office now, but it's not really, is it purely for the business?
2: No. And it is an exclusive t- test, isn't yes. it? Yeah. You know, so. If you're watching, you know, cat videos and other things.
1: Just do anything, <laughs> baking or something. Like up in
2: the I, I find that cat videos particularly good for mental relaxation after a hard piece of legal work.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. And also, I know that my precious body at the moment is trying to um, – Convince uh, HMRC or HM Treasury to to relax the rules on on, on separation and try to align yes. them with with the IHT rules. Of course, if you if you try to opt it after separation, of course, you don't get the same treatment.
2: That, that's right, and it and it's really difficult, isn't it? It, d- it doesn't make much sense that those rules should be as severe as they are. You know, the consequences are are quite difficult at a difficult time.
1: We'll see if
2: that if they uh, listen to us anyway. <laughs> um, I, and then, and then the last thing I was thinking about was was really this issue around um, you know where you have two properties, um, and then w- which one would be your main residence. And and I, I thought it was interesting that in a report that the Office of Tax Simplification issued in May um, this year, that they were saying of sort of thirty three percent of the people they spoke to didn't realise that they could or should make a nomination. for for a property to be their main residence. And if you don't, it's really a question of fact. And and I think people assume that it will be a choice between um, houses that you own. But actually, what they're looking for is your main residence. So if your main residence happens to be the house that you're letting, the house that you own may not qualify for relief.
1: Yeah, he's taking. Yeah. Like I say, if we go back to the case with the guy taking his, taking his washing home, he could elect for say his flat in in uh, in London to be his main home, but obviously he's not really there. He's he's going back to his previous place to mm-hmm. wash it. So therefore, whilst he's done the election and he's he's fitting in with the rules on the facts of the case, it, it, it's not.
2: I I think that's right. I think the thing is, regardless of where you nominate, the first thing is that you must have a rev- There must. Be a residence. If there's not a residence, yeah, then you're not going to be able to make the nomination anyway. Assuming that you have two residences, then it's up to you to choose which is your main residence. And it, once you've made the nomination, the revenue won't challenge that um, if it is a choice genuinely between two residences. So, for example, um, if you have your main house that you're going to keep till you die, and you've got a you've got a holiday home that you probably will sell. Yep. You could make your nomination on your holiday home yep. um, and then get the capital gains tax uplift on death when the main house is sold, assuming that it still exists <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at that point. So, I th- so and I th- I think the you know there's some thinking to do around those nominations and getting them in place on the right properties, bearing in mind that you have two years from when you acquire your new property to make that yeah.
3: um
2: election.
1: It's important, as because it's, it's like you say, it's a very tricky um, set of rules, really. It should be simple, but it's it not. It should
2: be. I, th- I think that's right. I think they're quite fiddly rules, but people assume that they're straightforward. And and, and quite often, if, you're, if, if the main residence is, if your home is your main asset, mm. you know, you might not be submitting a self-assessment return regularly. Yeah, you might yeah. just be paying PAYE, you sell your house, you assume you get relief. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily something where you're taking advice, mm. uh, tax advice, yeah. every time you do. But I think if you're doing anything that's a bit out of the ordinary or your house is a bit exceptional um, or you're making, you know, a significant gain through something you've done, you really should take advice. Yeah. Um, and even if just, – just so that if you were to be challenged, you have something to say, that is why I didn't declare it. Yeah i uh, you know i i have that advice because it can be a long time before the revenue challenge you and and they're picking up this information um themselves you know from changes on the land registry yeah. um
1: that seems to be the thing i think now they're they're looking at it for let's like say selling properties that' was not that you've not claimed but well, you have rather claimed um some relief from the SDLT, which you're not entitled to um, um so they, they seem to be now as a matter of fact just trawling through with their new software they have. Uh, I think it's called Connect Software, whatever it's called. Yes. Uh, and it, it can data mine all of these uh, um, government bodies to to kind of uh, pull out people to investigate.
2: So sort of five or 10 years' time when everybody's moved on and forgotten all about it, you know, you get an inquiry. and
1: It's a brown envelope coming to the door.
2: <laughs> it's, whereas if you kind of collect your information all together, yeah. take some photos at a time. There was a case yes. one,
1: think, a long time ago where a, a, a guy defended his case. He took photographs of cows for some reason. I can't, I can't remember what it was now, but it did just approve prove that it was grazing.
2: yes. It, I, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, we have these things available to us. Yeah. Um, just, to, just to make that record or to ensure that you've got that sort of contemporaneous record that can support the evidence um, if, if you ever need it.
1: Part of his defence, sell these cows on his land. Anyway, I think he won the case.
2: <laughs> I think the important thing is not to name the cows, Simon.
1: OK. ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, true. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a of the points there I've covered I think, really, because it is quite complex. And like you say, take advice, really, is a key thing. Um, if you have a big garden, a big house, or if you use um, part of property solely for your business, also be aware of these pitfalls. Excellent. Thank you very much, as always. Always enjoyable. Oh,
0: my pleasure. Nice to talk to you both. Thanks for listening and tune in next time when we discuss more of the tax and legal issues surrounding your business and property needs.